Matthew chapter 16, I want to talk to you today about the value of church. Why church? Well, Jesus, being the head of it, stimulates us to want to participate with what he has designed. And he makes an amazing statement to Peter at Caesarea Philippi. People are discussing and trying to debate who Jesus is. They're, they're thinking he's philosophical. They're thinking he's a great, deep teller of truth and so forth, maybe a prophet, a mystic of some type. And so they're sitting around engaging in this conversation. I've actually had the privilege of being at Caesarea Philippi, and it's a place where they would get together and discuss ideas and exchange philosophical thought. And so they're sitting at this waterhead of the river, and when they got there to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? He asked the disciples a general question, and they report to him, well, some say you're John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah, still others think you're Jeremiah, maybe one of the other prophets. And then he gets personal, he says to them, but who do you say that I am? The Lord takes it out of ambiguity and out of the general and brings it into the specific and into the intentional, he makes it personal. He says, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter speaks up says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Another verse says, no one comes to him unless the Father draws him. One place Jesus said, blessed are your eyes for they see. And that Paul prayed that we would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the church. He'd make known to us what is the mystery of the gospel. Paul understood it. Peter understands it here. The disciples are listening to Peter's response, and Jesus gives a great, deep, significant commendation. And he also makes a big statement about the revelation that Peter got. He said, in fact, he said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind or forbid on earth shall be bound or forbidden in heaven. And whatever you loose or permit on earth shall be loosed or permitted in heaven. Wow. Jesus, the head of the church, is laying out a very compelling thing. He's come to be the firstborn of many brethren. He's come to establish something called his church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the fellowship God has called us to, koinonia, is a Greek word which means togetherness. I heard somebody say fellowship is all of us together, fellows in the same ship. And I like that. I like the idea of church, how eclectic we are. I like what it addresses. It takes every age bracket. Here we've got a girl getting ready to go, husband and wife to have a baby. Over there, there's a couple that's in two weeks, they're engaged. Two weeks from now, they're going to get married. Uh, yesterday, we had a wonderful uh, marriage enrichment, and people from all kinds of different dimensions of marriage were coming together to supplement and build and strengthen and sow toward the relationship. I love it. Jesus said that we're to, as husbands, to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Now, I tell you what, I really love Patsy. We've been married almost 40 years this summer. And my love for her is growing. Our development, I don't take it for granted. I'm appreciative. And uh, I want us to understand as a church just how wonderful our situation is. Can we just celebrate just for a minute? 
God's called us out of darkness to walk. And the people who are not a people are now the people of God. You know that from every nation, tribe, tongue, dialect, the Lord deals with uh, this whole issue of ethnicity and race emphasis and all this stuff that keeps trying to spike. Sometimes it's better, sometimes it's worse in the world, but it's always good in the kingdom because around the throne, there'll be people from every nation, tribe, tongue, dialect. I saw a family from China. I saw a lady from uh, Korea. saw some folks from Africa. I saw people from St. Charles even. <laughs> Chesterfield, the village of Chesterfield. And all points in between. This is Family Sunday. We've got young people standing with our wonderful ushers and greeters. They're augmenting, and there's new wine, there's old wine, there's, there's abundance in the house. Thank the Lord Jesus for this. He said he would pour out his Holy Spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. Praise God. It's an exciting moment. It's an exciting time to be alive. It's an amazing moment for us to be able to come together. And I, I want to talk to you about some of the spiritual benefits and the reasons, the rationale for consistency with church. And I, even at the end, I want to close with some funny kind of practical things that are actually scientifically reinforced. But he said he would build his church on the revelation of who Jesus is. And uh, that the gates of hell, the strategies of the devil, the demonic oppression, the spirit of the age, who has overcome the world but he that believes Jesus is the Son of God. The church is the body of believers that God calls out of darkness to do life together. And the last time Dan led worship, he exhorted in between the songs about how the devil uses as a ploy, like he's like, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil's like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And he said, this is what he pointed out. In the animal kingdom, we know that lions lie out in the grass hunched down and they wait to pick off an isolated or a stray part of the herd. And that's what he was, Danny was trying to allude to was the, you get together, we're better together. We, we hold up our shields together. When I had my boating accident and you guys were praying before it happened, during the time it happened and after it happened when you didn't even know it happened, and you, you covered me, you changed my life by praying for me. You know, uh, I met my wife in church. Trey met his wife in church. We've raised our kids together here. Our kids want to serve God, train them up on the way they should go. When they're old, they'll not depart from it. Listen, that's what I want this church to be. You come back time and again, you know, skit knees and... The Bible says the righteous fall seven times and the Lord's there to lift them back up. A culture of mutual regard. You know, we're doing the best we can with our stewardship, with God, with our time, with each other, with the finances. We're trying to make the most of our moment and uh, poised as a collective for specific things that God would have us do. Isn't that fascinating? It takes faith. Last Sunday night I was praying. I got a real burden for Hawaii. So I prayed it out, and I, as I prayed for them, I had no idea a couple days later there would be the worst earthquake in 40 years. Well, nobody got killed. Then I prayed for the subdivision where the volcano, the volcanic materials oozing out 80 to 100 feet, and I thought, man, if that happened in your subdivision, you'd need prayer. And, uh, but we're from a church that flooded. You know, we understand. We're toughened. We actually understand something as a collective, don't we? I thought it was significant, and I just think there's an interesting sequence of things happening around us. It's wonderful. And I pray the blessing of God on church bodies and the enrichment of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Come alive with this. Get enthusiastic about it. 
How many of you have ever been out in public and you, kind of, you thought you recognized somebody? Did you go to my high school? Now you know where? Where'd you go to high school and all that stuff? And then finally, you, and then, well, I'm a Christian. You, I'm a Christian, yeah. And that's family resemblance. Gal Galilean accent. They could tell they've been with Jesus. We are the body of Christ. And we're members joined together. And we do life better together. The uh, battle at Kruger, the famous accidental video that a couple took when they were on vacation at a water hole in uh, Kruger National Park in, in South Africa. Uh, pride of lions, a herd of Cape buffalo. They came walking up. The lead buffalo sniffed out the lions, turned and signaled for the herd to run off. But one of the calves peeled off and was left behind. The lions got a hold of it, started chewing off her ears. The calf rolled down into the water. Two Nile crocodiles, they estimate, were at least 12 to 14 feet long. Not one, but two got on the one end and the lions on the other and did a tug of war. How many of you can relate? I know somebody feels like that right now. You've got, you've got predator teeth marks on both sides. But God snatches us from the jaws of death. Even Paul the Apostle said, God delivered me from the jaws of the lion. We know that happened with Daniel, but that even happened with Paul. And it's more than symbolism. It occasionally is literal. And yet, in the case of this, the herd came back, bared down on those lions, flicked them off like 14, 15 feet with their horns, and this little earless, tailless little calf got back up and went back to the herd. And, it, and it, I thought it would have wagged its tail, but it didn't have any more tail. I'll bet that thing's wagging its invisible tail right now. And now he's probably a teenager, and he's, he's chewing some cud out in the, in, the, in the savanna or whatever. And, you know, people are driving by on, on uh, safaris with their hats and stuff and the sunglasses taking pictures. And he's going... What are you looking at? It's like, look at that one. Look at that one. It doesn't have ears or a tail. You may feel earless and tailless, but at least we're back in the herd. <laughs> Hallelujah. So what are you looking at? Look at somebody next to you and say, what are you looking at? You're looking at more than a conqueror. You're looking at a victorious person who's been through some stuff. Hallelujah. Having done all to stand, we stand. So here we are, the church. Gentleman said to me, your prayers made a difference. Yesterday I had a, a crash, but your prayers sustained me. That is true. I have been praying for him for the last three days. And God did deliver him from the jaws of death. While life is not perfect, nor are we perfectionistic, we must stand for one another. And where else but church? That's why we don't need to be petty and get all compl complicated and strife and all that. We got to keep it out. Do our level best to keep be of one mind, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. That was my message for that church over there in Illinois. I think it's significant that, that three lead pastors who've been at it for 40 years each are together, representing thousands of people in the city, a wonderful city, a city where God has a plan, a city of lights, a city of holiness, a city of purpose, a city of change, a city of revival, a city of harvest. God will not share his glory with flesh, and so he's going to do it his way. And so the good news is Jesus has built the church. It's not based on a fleshly exertion. It's of the Spirit, by the Spirit, for the Spirit. In fact, it's not by might, not by power, but by the Holy Spirit. Our Christian lives are energized by the wonderful Holy Spirit. 
Like I preached yesterday, Patsy and I talked about marriage, and I prefaced it. Listen, there's hope for all of us. I told him, none of this stuff I'm teaching is principle stuff that you got to go and feel bad about. It's like, I, I don't want to augment your frustration. I want to facilitate hope. And my point was, with God, we can do it. Even if we've had a bad start, even if things were, weren't right, God can just take a thing and work it after the counsel of his own will. Pop us right out, good to go. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, God's going to build his church. And I want to go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, because this is essentially what I want to boil down. It's the spiritual part of the takeaway of what I think we need for today. This verse was something God spoke to me September 20th, 1977, between awake and sleep, when I was a young Christian before I was married. The Lord prompted this scripture to me while I wasn't, I wasn't reading my Bible. As I said, I was in bed getting ready to fall asleep. And God so pointedly impressed the scripture on my heart. Hebrews 10, verse 23, 24, 25, particularly 24. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We're prisoners of hope. Hope is in short supply. The world has gone hopeless. The Bible says they have no hope and they're without God in this world. Think of the plight of the lost. Think of the plight of the detached. Smug, no, they, they, they project to be. Deep down, it's cavernous. Deep down, there's no hope. Hope deferred, even in the church, makes the heart sick. But a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. These three abide, faith, hope, and love. The greatest is love. Faith works through love, and faith is the substance of things we hope for. So faith, hope, and love, the power trio. God is love. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we're to never, ever, ever throw away the confession of our hope. I think it means to be positive, biblically positive. Avoid negativity. Maintain the good report. Well, this is a tr basis of trust, our relationships with God, with each other. And so having done all to stand, we sow toward that. We don't let the accuser come in and start to eclipse that. We rebuke the devil. We stand firm in the faith. We believe God together. We hold up our shields. Having done all to stand, we stand. That, how many of you, that's worked for you a time or two in your personal life? I've watched you come through cancer and accidents. I've watched you come through cold, shallow moments in your marriages. I've watched you come through depression. I've watched you come through battles. Hallelujah. And today I'm preaching to the choir because, in fact, we're all here today. Did you notice that? Take some notes. You're here today. Look at somebody next to you and say, it's good that you're here. Because I think there's some assembly required. It says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And I'll get back to that. But verse 25, for not forsaking our own assembling together. Well, some of you have been here 30 solid years. Some of you have been plugged in, ushering, greeting, praying, serving. You've raised your families here, and I just am so grateful. Whether you've been here for three years, 30 years, three minutes, I just know the Lord said he would build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm a big prescriber in Acts chapter 2 where the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. Life is so daily and I believe every day there's sufficient grace corresponded to the challenges, trials at work, and our relationships, our thought life, the down sitting, our uprising. 
the seasons of our lives. This helps me through the decades not to longingly wish for the past, not to longingly anticipate the future, but be settled in the right now. I would have despaired unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the, where the rubber meets the road, right here, right now. This is the day the Lord has made. Pay attention. This is what we got right now. Hallelujah. And it's good. It's, it's obvious, but we need to be in the moment. And just floating through life is passive, but being intentional is what the Lord has called us as disciples to be. A disciple is a disciplined one, enrolled as a student. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Pray without ceasing. Don't forsake your assembling. It's like, well, in modern time, there's so much busyness. Some people are working two, three jobs. Kids are in school. There's sports. There are all kinds of things in the modern era to try to diminish our sense of momentum with the commitment of church. Now, I want to speak this to you, not as some sort of regimented authoritarian pastor dad who is demanding you stay in church because I'm not coming from that's not really my personality I suppose I should say that because two-thirds of pastoring is reproof rebuke and then exhortation I prefer to just exhort and encourage but yet you know I could get in this thing but I'll just say it from the standpoint of not so much have to but get to and that I think for me this is one of the disciplines that's improved my life probably as much or more than anything else. This morning, I started out my day with devotionals. And I was uh, reading a devotional I really like that I have on my phone. So I was reading it. I was sitting down with a cup of coffee, Patsy-style coffee, French press. It has all the oils. It has, like, I don't know, 30 viscosity. It's like, I, I mean, I could sell it as a special coal-based oil product on the internet or something. And I was getting, I was having an enthusiastic moment with the coffee, and I was sitting there pondering, preparing my heart. Is this one thing to be in church? It's another thing, personal time with the Lord, and we, we do both. We do all of it. We do all of it. One doesn't substitute for the other. And in fact, when we are all personally taking responsibility to charge ourselves up, when we come together, it's a greater contribution, right? So we have personal edification, and we get strengthened and fortified. But just in case you might be depleted right now, I pray you get supernaturally strengthened, just like those fighter jets that fly along, and then the fuel jets come along and do that crazy kind of attachment and fill up the tank while you're going on the go. I pray the blessing of God on your life. Somebody here had a lot of other stuff to do today, and you, will, you refuse to, uh, to let the devil sidetrack you. You had to be in church. Not out of religious obeisance, not out of just routine per se, but out of discipline, out of commitment. This is part of what I do, this is, and, and, and I'm not going to forsake the assembly any more than I would be like that little calf standing out and letting the lions, eight lions start biting and the two alligators doing a tug of war on your doodad and your thingamabob. Listen, not forsaking assembling together. We're a body of believers. We are the church of the Lord Jesus. We are a local expression of a movement that's worldwide, all over the nations, in Finland and in Russia and in South America, Brazil. I met wonderful Christians from Brazil. There are people in cities all over the world who have not bent their knee to Baal, who are praying in faith, who have been delivered from idolatry to serve the living God. How many of you would say, thankfully, your life has been changed by the Lord Jesus? He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is awesome. He has come to give abundant life. Hallelujah. Here you are. 
in your situation. A gentleman said, hey, pray for me. I'm having a surgery. Uh, somebody else, hey, well, I'm in a situation. I just came out of a car accident. Hey, I just got married. Pray for my future. Listen, we're the church. Having done all to stand, we stand. There's assembly required, and it's beautiful. And it says now we need to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. This should be our ponderance. This should be our inclination. When the devil tempts you to start evaluating one another, the Bible says it's not wise to compare ourselves among ourselves. We henceforth know no man according to the flesh. And the accuser will come in and try to whisper demonic things in our lives. And we got to resist those things. Cast down imaginations. Take every thought captive. Having done all to stand, we stand. And our main preoccupation ought to be, how can I sow encouragement, strength, and blessing, and faith-producing inspiration in the direction of everybody on all sides. What can I do, Lord? What is the word for the moment? The Bible says we should have salt in ourselves and always have a grace for the need of the moment. And so everybody has a need of the moment. The other day I was pumping gas at the gas station at the place across the street. And while I was doing it, I was cleaning off the stuff off the hood of my car and the windshield. And I looked over and the guy had the big beverage truck, he had the two-wheeler, he had all these cases of beer, and he was getting ready to roll the beer into the place, and the Lord spoke to me, offer to pray for him. So I'm standing there, I'm thinking, God, what if he, what if he, this is awkward, and I, God's like, are you ever going to grow out of that? <laughs> so I walked over to him, and right then he, he cocked back, he had like, I don't know, eight or ten cases on there, all the way to the top, he, cocked it back. I could tell the load was really heavy. It was bad timing at this point. God, if I had done God's timing, you'd have been not cocked back yet. And he says, I said, hey, do you need any prayer about anything? He said, as a matter of fact, I do. My fiance's sister just had a baby, and the baby's addicted to drugs. Department of Family Services, we're all involved, and we're trying to help this child, and that baby needs prayer. I said, do you have time to pray? Well, no, I've got to get going. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus... I prayed for that little unnamed baby. He didn't even know the baby's name or gender yet. It's that new. But God knew there needed to be a prayer meeting at the gas station. God knew the beer guy needed prayer. So there are opportunities coming. And we get equipped in church. We get the language of faith stirring in our thought processes. This is different than just mind-numbing entertainment. It's, just, it's different than the litany of bad news reports. It's different than being preoccupied with some other amusement. We're looking unto him, and we get sensitized in an atmosphere like this. Something spiritual can happen while we're in this context. Of course, something spiritual can happen to us when we're alone. Like this morning, I was sitting in my, my chair on the porch, drinking my coffee, jeans and t-shirt on, and uh, while I was reading my devotional, a bird landed on the back of my head. Now I know you guys are going, did it do its job on your head? Did it do its business? Thanks for wrecking, trying to wreck my story. No, it did not, as far as I can tell. I had bed head, which it looked like there was nest material. I'm pretty sure this bird went, man. There is some nest material here. And it was starting to tug. I, I know it because it was tugging on my hair and was scratching around. It was tugging. So I stayed real still because they respond to movement. But for the purposes of this message, 
I'm feeling a little bit like St. Francis of Assisi right now, people. <laughs> when I moved my head, that bird jumped about 10 feet and went, rah, 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 I don't know bird talk, but I'm pretty sure this, this girl was saying, don't ever do that again, you freaked me out. <laughs> but for the purposes of this message, I am feeling pretty spiritual now. Birds landed on my head. Hallelujah. Remember St. Francis and St. Clair? They had birds and stuff land on them. Some of you that's like, what? That would be weird. I loved it. What? You're bugging this beer guy. Why'd you do that? Because God cared so much about that little baby that was born addicted that he wanted somebody that was full of faith, who understood that whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven, and when you pray, you believe you receive, was supposed to step out of the context of just the relative systems of gas consumption and stepping out of the zone to just for a moment reach into somebody, a stranger's life, with a touch of the anointing, and pray the devil off that little kid, and pray for that kid's future to be amazing. And there's more for you. This is an environment of stimulation, where to consider how to stimulate. And you know, I'm not into overstimulation because I think hype uh, just gets us unnecessarily burning our, our energies. On the other hand, I'm also not into downplaying stuff either. I want God to be God. He's God. He's on fire. He has a great enthusiastic plan. He rejoices over us with singing. He's anointed with gladness above his brethren. And, and he, he's coming back to a glorious church without spot or blemish. His eyes run to and fro throughout the earth looking for people whose hearts are his. Not perfect people, just people pressing on in maturity. Not people who are like putting on airs like I'm so together, I have so much self-righteousness. We don't have any righteousness of our own. The, to the degree that we're honest and candid and we normalize the truths of life and we come in from that perspective, the Holy Spirit is poured out on us. We see signs, wonders, and miracles follow us. People think, are you a new Christian? You seem so excited. Actually, I've been saved half of my life or three quarters of my life. And I'm not excitable, but I am stimulated. Strengthened with might and power by his spirit in the inner man. The eyes of our understanding being enlightened. We've got a vision. We're going somewhere. That's why we're not to forsake the assembling together, which is the habit of some. There's a lady in the church serving in the computers right now. I met her years and years ago. She was a nightclub singer. She'd been serving God faithfully in our church for decades. And I knew her life before, and I know her life now. And she's a different person. And if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. You guys that are raised in church, don't let the world pick you off in their little superficial stupidity. Things falsely called knowledge. This fame thing is ridiculous. I've dealt with people who've been in and out of fame, and it causes all kinds of problems. Yet, we want to make Jesus famous. We don't want him to be ignored. We want him to be lifted up. We want him to be exalted. We want him to be honored. How do we do that? Well, God has us come together. He calls it the church. And he has occasion. Hey, I want you to do certain projects, but I just want you to do life together. And I want you to love one another with all your heart. And I want you to have brotherly love continue. And I want you to hold up your shields of faith so you can stand together. So nobody's isolated. Everybody's appreciated. You say, well, nobody knows my name. Well, step in there and volunteer. Put your name on a name badge. Get a name tattoo on your neck or something. I don't know. Just <laughs> The main thing is that our names are recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's where I want my name known. And I want to drop the name above every name, the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. 
I walked by another guy. The Lord's been having me do this. And I think as it goes with the pastor, maybe the Lord is going to be stirring up opportunities. This is a big deal, you guys. And if some of you are new, please bear with me. Patsy and I have been at it for a while. I met my wife in church. We've been at this a long time. God's even expanding us. Like, lengthen your tent cords and strengthen your pegs. Another eight acres. God apparently has something he wants to do in this valley. Because we were here before it was even developed. And God has a, whom, he has a plan. And as far as church consumer drive, it's like, well, now how, what do you have? For, we're trying our best with children, youth. We just did a marriage enrichment. You know, there's always room for improvement. We're going to always try to do our best. We're going to do vacation Bible study for kids in a little while. There's plenty of opportunity for inclusion and involvement. It'll give you an endorphin rush for at least three months. Best of all, the kids are going to hear the gospel of Jesus. They're going to walk with the Lord. They're going to pursue righteousness. They're going to end up settling in, getting educated, getting married, making career choices, all based on their commitment to Jesus Christ. And we're going to see years from now when we hobble into the building and we're 120 years old and go, because <laughs> we're going to see the kids serving God with their kids. You say, is that what you I'm just trying to cope, Pastor Jeff, with the here and now. Well, I pray the blessing of God on your here and now. I feel like that calf that's being perforated on both ends of the spectrum. I pray you get delivered today. I pray you get healed today. I'm not being flippant. I pray you get a miracle today. I pray something sparks in you. Five practical things that happen with church. I've heard this from doctors. Number one, going to church verifiably boosts our immune systems. Lowers blood pressure. Helps you to live longer. Did you know that? Uh, Dr. Tyler J. Vanderweel, an epidemiologist from Harvard School of Public Health, conducted a study on regular churchgoers for over two decades with his colleagues. He found that people who attend churches once a week enjoy better blood pressure, healthier cardiovascular, immune system, endocrine functions, less coronary artery disease than those who don't attend church at all. The risk of dying is 20 to 30% less in the 10 and a half years after they began going to church regularly. Number two, people who go to services regularly are less likely to be depressed. A survey of nearly 100,000 women over 50 who attended regular services at church found they were 56% more likely to have a positive outlook on life and 27% less likely to be depressed according to a study in the Journal of Religion and Health. Eliezer Schnall, the study's author and associate professor of Yeshiva University in New York, writes that regular religious practice can help foster a positive worldview, including calming rituals and have other physiological and social benefits, and I will add, and birds will land on your hair when you're in devotions. <laughs> Number three, frequent church goers have a larger social circle. Look around. I mean, it's like, hey, what's up? I never would have met you if I hadn't been in church. Number four, teenagers who regularly attend church do better in school. Researchers at the University of Iowa found that the GPA of teenagers who attend services on a weekly basis, it was 1.44% higher than those who never attended services. According to study published in the Sociological Quarterly, they studied students from seventh grade to seniors in high school, 
and that church-going teenagers encounter adults of various ages who serve as role models and are more likely to talk with their friends and parents. They also, so they develop social skills, they improve their studies, they strike up friendships with kids who share similar values and participate in extracurricular activities like jump and so forth, soccer camp, all these kinds of things we do, and that it causes a surge. Surprisingly, the importance of religion to teens had very little impact on their educational outcomes. They said that that suggests that the act of attending church, the structure and social aspects associated with it, could be more important to educational outcomes than the actual religion. I don't think that's true, because I've watched kids just, I'm going to church because my parents make me go. But then I see the lights go on. I see the lights go on. You're being, you're being dedicated. Your parents are bringing, hey, come to church with me. It's important. And maybe if you haven't caught on yet, some of you have, some, some of you haven't, but it, the lights will go on. And I think the reason there, there's not a complete research there is because I believe when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things are added to us. Number five, churchgoers are happier with their lives overall. Happier are the people whose God is the Lord. One time Patsy's daddy was kind of going through some struggles, World War II vet, had a lot of hardship, infirmity and difficulty, ended up really great though, and ended up strong, beautiful man, deep man. One time with Chelsea, he was watching the local news on TV and he said, nobody's happy in this world. And Chelsea, when she was four years old, tugged on Papa's hand and said, uh-uh, Papa, uh-uh, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. He went, oh, that's right. And he never went back. A little child led him out of depression and he had changed him. He never bemoaned like uh, on that kind of dimension again. I want you to look at somebody next to you and say, I think you're 60% happier looking than you were before. <laughs> 